This is Corkscrew Convo's Another Theme Park Podcast. My name is Chris, and today we're here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, the theater, the link, and everything else under the sun, and it's time. But first, let's get this disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. Uh, Dear listener, DJ is on the road today, so I have called in some reinforcements, as it were. Uh, Someone who has been known to enjoy a corkscrew convo now and again. Uh, And that is Max, who's here to join me today. Max enjoys sharks, efficiency, deep contemplation, and fast cars, not in that order. Would you say that that is an accurate assessment of your interests, Max? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an easy way to summarize them all, I'd say. Well, good. Yeah, I've asked you here to join me to help digest a recent experience that I had and, more importantly, to give DJ something to listen to on the road. So hopefully we don't say anything that makes him angry and then he starts gripping the wheel and saying, oh, I never should have let them record without me. Hopefully we just keep things on an even keel uh, and he has a great time. He's just listening, cruising. He's got the the windows down, wind going through his hair. Uh, And then he stops every now and again, maybe get some Zaxby's, get some fries uh, before he heads back on the road. That's how I like to imagine him right now. Yeah, hopefully our conversation uh, does all of those things, but also, you know, make sure as he's listening, it doesn't become a pedal to the metal kind of situation, you know? (laughs) Uh, I need to get back there. I need to fix their. They're saying the wrong facts. They're not doing it right. (laughs) Must go faster. Must go faster. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you've joined us here today, Max. It's been great to have you on the pod. Uh, We haven't heard from you since you joined us in maybe April or May or something, where we had a great discussion that we called an FEC to call your own. Uh, That was where we each sort of planned our own imaginary FECs, these own family entertainment centers, where if you could do anything, what would you do? Where would you put it and why? And I think we had a great discussion there. Yeah, no, I thought it was a really, uh, it was a fun conversation. We got to be a little bit creative. You kind of helped me getting some perspective on on different uh, ways to approach the design and and execution of an FEC. And I think, you know, I remember you were feeling very, like, shocked by the direction that I took in uh, (laughs) using watermelons as a a theme for uh, an FEC. But it was a lot of fun to talk about that. I still think about some of those ideas from time to time. Oh, to this day, I cannot go and look at a watermelon without thinking about your FEC. So that is some very strong brand association that you have right there. And I know that once we get that place opened up, people will not be able to look at watermelons without thinking about your product. And that's just a natural association there. It's free advertising. So I, I think, think you were a genius there. I keep thinking about mm-hmm. Alvi. I keep thinking about Alvi as the name of the, the mascot that we came up with after Alba, Florida. Mm-hmm. So that was... That was always something that stood out really well. Yeah, that's going to be a blast. And dear listener, if you don't know what we're talking about yet, go back in the feed, look up an FEC to call your own and listen to that episode. It's a nice long episode. So if you've got a car ride coming up, maybe you're trying to go to sleep. Uh, well, don't fall asleep when you listen. I mean, if you're listening to us, I'd like to assume that you're wide awake and enthralled with what we're trying to say. Uh, but uh, if you do happen to drift off, I understand it. That's perfectly fine, too. Well, Max, I got to know, how has your week been? How's your summer? Because we're in August now. We're getting pretty close to the end of it. Labor Day is just a couple weeks away, which is a little hard to fathom because I feel like an Independence Day was just last week. <laughs> At least it feels that way. 
Yeah, summer's been good. It's been hot, very, very hot, busy. The typical three o'clock uh, Florida summer storms are are back in bloom. And uh, locally, schools uh, just reopened again, so kids went back, which means traffic is actually worse than during the summer, because uh, now you got all the school buses making a hundred stops along along the same route that I'm trying to take to get to work. But other than that, it's been a good week, man. It's getting work is getting busy, but uh, the home life is great. We're pulling out some of the Halloween decorations now, and I think it's appropriate since Disney started their uh, Mickey is Not So Scary event uh this past week and universal will be doing halloween horror nights in a couple more weeks so plus all the craft stores you know michael's joanne's they have all the halloween stuff out now so it's more than appropriate to start decorating so that's kind of what what we did uh this week but man how are you well i have not yet decorated because well i don't think i'm at a point in my life right now that i i would decorate for different holidays at least where i am right now of course got family here and there i don't put up a tree do other things put up a a a pumpkin blow up thing like that but for me i don't know i guess i aspire to to get to a point where i can put up halloween decorations a couple months early because i do feel like i have been getting the urge to feel a little bit spooky i'm not afraid to say that um, because I've seen those same photos that come out on social media of the not-so-scary Halloween party, the Boo to You parade returning, which is the inferior parade to Mickey's Frightfully Fun Parade at the Disneyland Resort. That is probably one of the best parades I have ever seen. But that's a, a story for a different day. And we might come and, and, uh, on another podcast and dissect the differences between the coasts and the different holiday events that they offer. Real quick, before we get up this, this Halloween topic, though, what... Uh, yeah. If you had to decorate kind of like a quick theme for your house, or like if you have a decoration that like you would say is your favorite, like the staple that you always have out that you're super proud of, or is there something that you would you would really want to have on display? I'll go first. Um, we, my wife and I, fell in love with like at Michael's those old, uh, or not the old, but the, um, oh, what do you call them? Like the Halloween Town displays that they mm-hmm. usually put up. We usually have one for Halloween and for Christmas. We fell in love with buying the ones that were usually damaged and therefore cheaper in the clearance section, and then adding our own stuff onto them. And of course, buying a few pieces here and there and finding a nice little shelf or a corner or display area in our house to put as much of this town up as we could to have almost like the real thing that's in the store and take that down every year. And that's one of our favorite things to kind of always put up and put down. You can always guarantee every holiday, Halloween season that'll be uh, what you see in our house. Now, is that something that grows with every year? Unfortunately, yes. Yes. Every year it it grows a little bit more, which is great and exciting uh, until the realization of running out of space and then running out of storage space for the time of year when it's not Halloween uh, becomes Mm -hmm. a little bit of a challenge. But uh, no, we find we find joy in kind of, you know, telling telling a story with this town with these little figurines that sure the story kind of already exists kind of naturally from the content of what it is that the product is they're selling, but being able to you know, add little pieces to it here and there that are kind of personal to us and, you know, picking out a way to make our town different from what's in the store and maybe different from what other people might have. Uh, that's always been kind of the fun of, of uh, building it. Well, that sounds really great. I'd love to, to do something like that someday. If When I think about decorations, I probably would gravitate to, now it might sound basic, but a real harvest aesthetic. I mean, 
something that comes to mind for me is what uh, Silver Dollar City and Dollywood have done uh, in years past for their Harvest Festival, and now their Pumpkin Illuminates or Pumpkins in the City, whatever they're calling it now at those different parks, where they do these incredible things, these incredible sculptures with pumpkins, and they're enormous. They're 30 feet tall. It's a pumpkin scarecrow or um, hay bales that form something or or uh, corn stalks. I mean, I wouldn't bring hay bales and corn stalks into my house, but... Why not? Uh, <laughs> bugs, that's why. Uh, but I, I kind of think, a part of me thinks that I shouldn't be trusted with these sort of decorations because a couple of years ago, I went to the hardware store and I saw some of these great decorations. I saw a broom that was scented with pumpkin spice. I smelled mm-hmm. it. It was still in that plastic bag, but I smelled, oh, it smells pretty good. I like pumpkin spice, especially around this time of year. And so I really enjoyed it. I put it in my car because, hey, now my, par's, now my car is going to smell nice and it's going to be awesome. Um, eventually, my nose started being broken when it comes to picking up that scent, like where you, you, when you smell the scent so much, the oh. nose just tunes it out. Yeah, you became nose blind. Evolutionarily, that's so that you can continue picking up novel scents. But little by little, I said, "Wow, I don't really smell anything at all." And, and then a couple weeks later, someone got into my car and they started coughing. Like, "Oh, like what's going on in here? It smells like a a pumpkin exploded in here." <laughs> I was like, "What are you talking about? Oh, it's the broom in the back of my car." Oh no! Oh. So we had to drive with the windows down. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, she was like, what is that smell? It's like a, a pumpkin and glitter. What is it? <laughs> oh, and then I said, oh, yeah, I got the, the broom in here. Uh, it smells nice, doesn't it? <laughs> allegedly, so I got to be careful. Allegedly, the secret to those is to leave the plastic on and then slowly take it off to kind of release more of the scent over time. I, I, I do the same thing. I bring it in the house. I rip the bag off. And I'm like, perfect. Let it, let it smell how it's going to smell for as long as possible. That's always been uh, the way I do it, but I've, yeah. I've never had that experience of it in my car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, uh, I guess I learned from that experience. I haven't bought uh, different ones that might be cinnamon scented or, or something like that, even though I might be tempted to. I, I have to remember what happened and prevent myself from doing that again. So that's just, uh, I guess, what's been happening recently. So, Max, I've called you here today because I attended a big sporting event for the first time. It's something that's new to me. I went to an Eagles preseason game. I mean, before mm. that day, just a couple days ago, uh, with the exception of a couple MLB games in Cleveland or Anaheim, uh, this is my first time going to a, a big stadium with thousands and thousands of people all in this one concrete bowl. It was incredible. I mean, I'm an Eagles fan, and I have been for a long time, and I love to see them win the Super Bowl. But this is my first time going into this stadium where all these iconic moments have happened and these great games that I've watched on TV for years. And to be there in person, that was a really special experience. And I started to think about the similarities between the theme park experience and this related industry and the major league sports experience, and not just for football, but for baseball, racing even, uh, soccer, all, all these things here. Hockey, too, I guess. Oh, and basketball. See, the list gets longer the longer I think. Uh, but the, I guess there are a lot of similarities there that I'd love to explore with you. 
But before we dive into that, I just briefly wanted to share our roller coaster that we're going to be highlighting from 1978 for this episode, uh, because it, are, it is our 78th episode. Uh, so we're going to pick a roller coaster from 1978 to hold up to you, dear listener, uh, as a coaster that we're highlighting and commemorating on this episode. Uh, some runners up of this year, which was a pretty good year for coasters, it seems. There was Gemini at Cedar Point, Blazing Fury at Dollywood, and also Mindbender at Six Flags Over Georgia. Some iconic rides over there. Uh, but ultimately, I had to choose a roller coaster for which I have had, uh, shall we say, sentimental attachment. Uh, it's a roller coaster that I've ridden countless times, and it's a roller coaster for which I have pressed the buttons. And that's a, that's a very personal experience to be able to have done that. This is the legendary Loch Ness Monster at Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. Uh, so let's pull up the stats in RCDB right now uh, just to get us started off. This has a length of 3,240 feet, a height of 130, a drop of 114, a top speed of 60 miles per hour, a max vertical angle on that drop of 55 degrees, two inversions, uh, maximum G-forces of three and a half Gs, and oh yeah, did I mention there are interlocking loops? So Max, this roller coaster here, I asked you before we started recording if you had ridden it or if you knew anything about it, and you said that you didn't. Is that correct? That is, that is true. I have not experienced this roller coaster. Okay. Well, this is a roller coaster, like I briefly mentioned, that is very special to me. It's a coaster that I know the layout of very well. Uh, I could probably describe it in my sleep. But what I wanted to do to try something out is to get you to watch the video, this point of view video of the Loch Ness Monster, and then just give us your reaction as it happens. So let's get into that right now where we're going to press play in just a moment. Dear listener, if you want to play along at home, you can pull up the point of view, the point of view video here. Uh, we're watching the Coaster Force edition that pops up right up there on the front page of the search results. So let's get our videos queued up. And then on the count of three, Let's watch this video. All right, ready, ready when you are. Ready for dispatch. Three, two, one. All right, we're seeing the Coaster Force logo. Oh, Loch Ness Monster, Bush Gardens, Williamsburg. And from this point on, I'm going to say, give us your thoughts and your reactions, and and I'll react to you reacting. I guess is that what people do on the internet now? Something Here like that. Go. Yeah, we just react to each other's reactions. That's. Seems appropriate. Well, it's very interesting that dispatch underneath that. I'm assuming that that walking path right there. That's a very interesting uh, mm -hmm. way to kind of get started across the treetops here. Yeah, it was a, a station built in '78, and it hasn't changed a ton. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I like the uh, the idea of this slow beginning here. I think that's kind of is a beginning, almost like a roller coaster pre-show, if you will, that leads up to those first chain lifts. I always appreciate that as opposed to taking off right into. Uh, right into the lift like some coasters traditionally do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, the, the station itself, uh, you, you might not know this, Max, but you go down a big hill to get to that station, which is already right next to a ravine. And of course, right now in the video, we're going up the lift hill. It's pretty slow, so I'm trying to stall for time a little bit here. I'm gonna give you a little more context where the terrain around this coaster here is built into this man-made lake area, this ravine where it has some hills, it has some hilly terrain as well uh, that makes for a pretty nice ride. But here we are cresting the lift now, so I'll give it back to you. All right. So oh, lots of trees, very, very uh, pleasant view. I wouldn't mind seeing that more often in my life, to be honest. 
Well, it's often right. ranked as the world's most beautiful theme park. I can see why. I mean, you just see a bunch of treetops right now. But all right, here comes our first big drop right here at the beginning. Oh, wow. I like that it's not too steep, but you can still see the the, the G-forces in this video. Like, the, mm -hmm. the camera shake is not so violent where you can't see what's happening, but you can tell, yes, you're being put back in your seat here. This must be our first uh, vertical loop, yeah. I like that it goes through the other one. That's a unique feature. I haven't seen mm -hmm. that uh, in person before. Oh, is this like a little cave we're going in? All right. Uh oh, here we go. Oh, wow, that's a really low ceiling. Oh, this part makes me nervous. <laughs> yeah, we're in darkness right now. <laughs> this is one of those Space Mountain vibes where you just kind of keep yourself as small as possible in your seat because you don't know what you don't know and you don't want to find out the hard way. Well, now, a roller coaster like this, it has uh, some over-the-shoulder restraints where you can't really put your arms up anyway. That wouldn't stop me from having the fear of wanting to make myself as compact as possible, but, but I appreciate the knowledge of knowing that I would be secured and safe. All right, this is a, a miniature little uh, lift here, and now we're kind of cresting over that. I do like the change of pace, though. I think that gives the rider a, a nice breath of calmness and then allows them to enjoy the next segments here and going through that loop i think slower is also quite an experience because I've, I've done a loop at a slow speed and a loop at a high speed and it does change your experience quite a lot mm -hmm. is this returning back to the station now and uh yep yeah i'm just trying to envision you chris in one of these green polo shirts here clapping welcoming <laughs> me back after dispatching me so uh you, you did a great job out there kid you uh. can ride with us anytime <laughs> <laughs> or is that what they say at universal something like that a lot, of, a lot of them say that, yeah. No, that was yeah. good. That looked like a fun, fun, just a good, fun uh, attraction. You know, I, I know a lot of the big coasters nowadays, everything's like the steepest drop and the fastest thing. But so I just like things like that. You know, it's pretty pleasant, just two inversions and, and just overall a, a fun ride. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned the steepness. You mentioned the pacing of the ride. When this coaster opened in 1978, it was the tallest, fastest, and steepest coaster in the world. So it really did pack a punch back then. And, and you'd probably be surprised at how intense the ride actually is when you ride it, uh, particularly in that first vertical loop. Uh, it's got some intensity to it. So it's a, a great ride, and it still is today. Yeah, cool. Thank, I'm glad I got to kind of experience that through the screen. Hopefully, uh, one of these days, I'll be able to trip up to Virginia with you, and we can go ride that together for real. Oh, yeah, we got to get you up there. It's a great park, a great ride there, too. But 1978, uh, to put this into historical context, we're just a few years removed from the return of the inversion in the steel roller coaster. Um, and this coaster, I, I'd like to say, represented taking things to the next level. Uh, because they'd had a couple coasters that had multiple inversions in them, yes, but this was a coaster that had multiple inversions, and it was built into the terrain uh, and presented in a way that was not done before. And yes, I'm talking about those interlocking loops. And, and if you would believe it, Max, back in the day, uh, they once were timed out so that the trains would traverse the interlocking loops at the same time, and it was incredible sight. You could probably find old videos of uh, the trains when they did that back in the day and it was incredible unfortunately it doesn't happen that way now and uh, from what I understand just uh, the the lift chains grew to different speeds over time and and so now that's just timed out a little bit differently now uh, but that is uh, an incredible ride uh, two loops we set it a two and three quarters helix in a tunnel 
uh, two lift hills, and of course that heavily wooded area that you mentioned. If you're lucky, Max, you will see a deer when you're going up that second lift hill because there is some wildlife in that area of the park there too. Is this similar um, to like the goat you'll see on Big Thunder Mountain type of wildlife or like real wildlife? Real. <laughs> okay. Just just want to confirm. Just want to confirm. Yeah, yeah, and it's a—I mean, it's a heavily wooded area there. You mentioned it there too. Uh, that helix that was in a tunnel back in the day, there used to be this mural of the Loch Ness monster that would be following you along the wall when you go through that helix. It might have even been strobe lights or fog or things like that, mist. Uh, those effects are not there anymore. Mm. Uh, but that—that that, it just leaves you in that tunnel in the darkness, yeah. uh, just going through that helix, which I think is uh, still a little thrilling too because uh, if it's someone like you, you don't know what's going to happen next. Right. And I, and I know we want to move on soon to some of the other topics you have, but I went back into the video. I got to the one minute and 55 second mark when you're about to go into the, the first of these vertical loops. And just looking at the, the design and the architecture of the, the structures built around these two loops, like there's so much more to it than just the track. There's like almost like two arches kind of mimicking mm -hmm. like the St. Louis arch that kind of go over these loops um, to support them over this this pathway and this waterway and just that that image alone is just so I think interesting when you consider how a loop is built today and how coasters are designed nowadays and just like how much of the track you see you know like the yellow is just so prominent and so bright and now I feel like a lot of steel coasters you know you have your rails but like the coaster is so the track is so minimal the supports are so almost blended in really well they don't really stand out as much as like this moment in this video here i think that's just fascinating because like that's that is part of our history of, of in this industry and i was looking at how did we design this how do we build it well there that's how you built that in 1978 and to see what a modern version of this would look like nowadays would be just outstanding but i kind of i really enjoy and appreciate this type of architecture if you will of uh of, of roller coaster design. This is a, something I wanted to come back and look at after watching the video because I just wanted to appreciate this moment a little bit more uh, than I did when I was watching it in, in motion. So that's mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. It's incredible to look at, like you said, the support structures that they made when they were making it because with, with this uh, steel coaster here back in the day, they didn't have prefabricated pieces that they bolted together. Uh, that's not how they built it back in the day. They sort of uh, built it on site, much like a, an old wooden coaster as well, where they sort of heated the steel and bent the the rails and beams and, and, and then welded everything together as well. Uh, and that is, of course, not really how it's done this day either. Of course, it's all computer engineered and then right. bent or, or fabricated in a way that allows you to just put everything together on site. Uh, and it makes for an experience uh, when we look at the Loch Ness Monster where uh, it is iconic and it's ancient, but it also tells a story about where we were and how it led to where we are today. Yeah, no, so, that was really cool. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we did this today. And I hope you, as a listener, you get to look at that video as well. And if you haven't been familiar with like me, have a similar enjoyment of of the past and and, and current still. Mm. Yeah, it was great fun. I mean, Loch Ness Monster is a roller coaster. It's always going to have special meaning for me. Uh, but I am glad to see it sticking around and still putting out a great experience each and every day. Because uh, the park has continued to invest in the roller coaster. It got new paint recently, new trains for its 40th anniversary in 2018. Uh, so they are still dedicated to keeping that coaster around for the long term. And I love to see it. That's great. 
So before we bring on my time in the big league, I just wanted to highlight a couple other great episodes that we've put out recently. Uh, specifically, The Venetian Merchant and the River King. Uh, that is where we talked about what is going on in uh, Venice, Italy, where it's pretty interesting. They are trying to navigate this difficult situation that they're in with uh, the flooding that they have in that iconic city and the, the overcrowding of tourism and their solution, which sounds an awful lot like theme park admission. Uh, it's very interesting to consider. I think we had a great discussion there about what they're trying to do to keep that city afloat there in that episode. We also hosted Dallas to come back for a, a podcast episode to talk about her trip overseas to Scotland and Ireland, where I have never been overseas. The only countries that I've been to that are not the U.S. are Canada and Saudi Arabia, uh, but I have never flown overseas. And to hear about what it's like to go uh, both through these bigger cities in Scotland and Ireland, but also smaller towns and villages and things like that, and, and what the experience is like. It was incredible to hear about that, too. There weren't any coasters in that trip. Dallas didn't go to any theme parks, but it was still great to hear about what it's like to experience different cultures like that. Uh, speaking of Dallas, we also had a, a recent episode where she talked to us about Run Disney and that whole subculture of people that go down to the Florida humidity, they race in the middle of the early morning, and <laughs> it was incredible to hear about because it's a, a real operation down there to put that together, and by the time the race is done, you probably might not have even seen it ever happening uh, later on in the afternoon because they're that quick with putting it together taking it out um, to continue to operate all these different parks at the Walt Disney World Resort um, at that same time. So that was a great discussion, too. In just our last episode, we had a couple trip reports because DJ went to Six Flags America and I went to Busch Gardens Williamsburg. Oh, yeah, home of the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> and we had some fun trip reports there where we got to talk about some of our fun as we get into the deep summer. So if you're new to Corkscrew Convos, first, welcome. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, take a look around, take a listen, and we hope you enjoy yourself. Uh, if you'd like to have a Corkscrew conversation with us, there's a lot of ways for you to do that. We're on the Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Gmail, as Corkscrew Convos. I mean, the name of the show is the username on the social media. So we're also CorkscrewConvos at gmail.com. Um, and go ahead, and if you have a question, some of them you're wondering about, or that you'd be interested to hear us discuss, go ahead and put it out there. It'd be great to start a Corkscrew Conversation with you. Uh, but without further ado, Let's talk to Max, and let's have a corkscrew conversation with him uh, about a recent experience that I just had, and, and we'll get some of his wisdom and insight as well. Just the other day, I got the chance to check out an NFL preseason game for the first time. Now, I know what you're thinking, preseason game, blah, 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 what do you mean? <laughs> what's, the, what's the big deal? For me, it was a really big deal because I had been watching the Eagles, the birds, go birds, by the way, bleed green, uh, for more than 13 years, and I finally got a chance to see them in person. Uh, and of course, it was the first preseason game of the season, so it's a, a lot of people trying to make the team, that sort of thing, trying to, to get noticed. And even so, it was an amazing time. I was amazed at the size of the operation and how imposing the stadium was. It's a huge stadium. Uh, it's like, I don't even know how many feet tall it is, but it's a, a very large stadium. And pulling up all of the traffic lights in the sports complex in Philadelphia were turned off because there were just thousands and thousands of cars arriving. And that was incredible. Okay, they know what they're doing here. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was great to see, too. 
Now, Max, we got there a couple of hours early, uh, and we had some fun in the parking lot. There's this thing that people do, it turns out, called tailgating, and that's a blast. It's incredible. Have you ever tailgated? I have. Um, not at a professional sporting event, but in co- for college football. Uh, definitely when I was a student at UCF. I was in the marching band, so I didn't get to tailgate all the time um, as a student. Um, but as an alumni, getting to go back, there were a few times I got to hang out um, and, and enjoy some food and games. But I did observe a lot of other people's activities that they would do uh, during tailgating. UCF, if you're not familiar with the campus, has what we call Memory Mall, which is a large stretch of grass, similar to the mall um, in Washington, D.C., if you, if you consider the imagery. Uh, very similar from our student union up to our arena, which then further leads to the football stadium. And um, on game day, there would be like boxes marked out for tents and pop-up tents for different groups and students. And it would be littered with people everywhere from all different organizations, different groups, different age ranges, cooking, drinking, playing cornhole, um, playing Connect Four on the giant Connect Four uh, yard games and just playing music and having a good time. And, you know, in the brief few minutes, we would be marching up to the stadium, looking at just how much fun people were having and how hype they were getting about the event that was about to, to happen. You could tell that it was more than just a, uh, a two and a half hour football game, but this was an event um, for people to participate in. And, I, and I'm glad to hear that it happens at uh, the professional football level, because I've also seen it in a few other sporting events I've attended, mostly NASCAR races, um, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit. But tailgating is a, it, it's a, some people take it to the next level. I'm impressed with what people do, uh, it could think to do yeah. in a parking lot. Yeah, I mean, there were kids running around in the grass. There was people with folding tables with various amounts of cups on these folding tables doing whatever. There was cornhole, which um, cornhole can either be a very frustrating sport for me or a sport that I am just undeniably amazing at. And there's no in between. Um, (laughs) When I got there, I was doing the warm up with the underhanded throw of cornhole. But then I figure... Why not break out the big guns? We're at the Eagles game. It's trying to try out the, the the real technique that I think I've pioneered, and that's the overhanded throw of a cornhole bag. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking. Max, I can see your face now. Overhanded throw in cornhole? What are you, crazy? Hear me out. I throw it in such a way that it arcs perfectly and then goes swoosh into the hole, the cornhole, as it were. Um, and it's something that has definitely taken a lot of time for me to execute. But w- once I start sinking those in there, it's game over. So, Chris, you, yeah. could, you could take that exact same description that you just gave for overhand cornhole. And it sounds like somebody who just took a free throw shot in basketball who's never played basketball before <laughs> trying to describe the success they had that day. Like, uh, it's almost the same. That's hysterical. Did you have tried to? By chance, did you happen to see anybody with, um, like, those inflatable kiddie pools? That I did not see. Um, do people do that? They, they do, and I've seen them used for, for more than just pools. Um, some people fill them with ice, and that is where the beer and the drinks live, is, is in these giant kiddie pools. Some people, it's almost like a mini like a mini carnival or a fair to tailgate in certain areas because I've seen them be used for, like, you know, like, when the, the game, like, the ducks kind of swim around the little yeah. pond, you got the fishing pole. It's like almost like that, where I've seen people do stuff like that as like a a game with I don't even know what floating around. Like maybe it's like a like a ring um, on a fishing hook or on a fishing line, and there's like a little hook that's floating around on these ducks or something, and you pick it up. And I don't know. It was 
I've seen a lot of crazy things with the uh, the kiddie pools. So I was curious if that was also something you got to experience as well. Well, people brought grills. I mean, they were grilling oh, yeah. out there, and that was incredible. I mean, I don't know how you get the the grills cool enough to put in your car and then you go into the game. I mean, I haven't figured out the timing yet, but something I would love to do when my life is more put together to get to a point where I can bring a smoker. Ooh, that and would get be a there hit. early enough where I just start smoking some ribs. <laughs> that would be a huge hit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd probably bring at least six racks, I'd say, because I imagine if I start smoking uh, and the people smelling the ribs, people might come over and say, hey, I smell some barbecue. You all got some barbecue? And I'll say, oh, yeah, sure, have a rib. Because I feel like that's the atmosphere of this thing called tailgating, where it is a communal experience. There's that generalized reciprocity of you get something from them, but then they, you give something to someone else and that sort of thing. It all evens out in the wash, and everybody has a great time. I'm talking about those birds. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a giant block party. It's a giant block party. Yeah. And before I go further, I do have to give a quick shout out to my friends Liv and Liz. They were true professionals when it came to attending an NFL game. I had never done such a thing before. So I was sort of like a deer in headlines. I was like, wow, I'm at the link. This place actually exists. It's not just on TV. Uh, they helped me to attend what it was to be going to this game. It was incredible because without them, I would have gotten lost a lot more than I did, uh, which was once. I got lost once and ended up doing a lap around the stadium. But I can cover for myself and say I did that to familiarize myself with the amenities of the stadium. So technically, I did not get lost. Well, that's good because that's that is part of the experience of I, I find myself whenever I'm going to these large events is just walking around and getting familiar with the area and exploring and seeing what all is there, not just beelining to your ticket. I think that helps really engulf the experience that some of these stadiums and some of these sports teams are trying to, to put together and present, which uh, can really, exactly. really be impactful. I think that kind of leads into our conversation as well on, on how these tie so closely to the theme parks. Exactly. And I think you're hitting the nail right on the head there. But uh, I guess just to quickly summarize the rest of my experience, I had a great time, met some friends, we played some games. Um, and uh, the time might have gotten away from us a little bit because we didn't make it to the stadium for kickoff. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, it was a very intense game of cornhole, and you can't just walk away from cornhole. But then I saw right. the fireworks shoot off from the stadium. I was like, oh, it is 730. Hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I had to start draining the threes. I had to do what I do uh, with my <laughs> overhanded arc into the cornhole itself. Um, we got that game put away, started making our way to the stadium, it was incredible. I mean, we were um, we were sitting in section 203, so we had to go up a level, um, but they had those escalators everywhere. It felt like it was very easy to get there. They had those new Evolve scanners at the entrance, and are you familiar with that technology that I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not sure I know who the Evolve ones are. These are the scanners that are replacing a lot of metal detectors in theme parks. If you go to SeaWorld recently or... I think they have them at Disney now. If they oh, don't already, I think they've tested them out. I do think I know. These are like yeah. the two poles that you just kind of walk through, and it'll just like yes, and you walk continuously through. If they need yes. to stop you, they will. Um, those scanners are incredible. It's it's amazing to go from where you have to put your keys in the bowl and then walk around, and then go again and walk around again, um, to going to th 
this where they keep walking, keep walking, because everybody's so primed to stop in front of these. But no, keep walking. Um, and it just it revolutionizes the experience there, too. So I was glad to see that they had those there. We scanned our tickets. I saw the fireworks right in front of my eyes. I heard the crowd screaming. Uh, it was a preseason game, so they weren't screaming a ton, but it was still a great atmosphere, too. And and where we were sitting in section 203, we were right on top of the game, pretty close to the 50. And it was easier to keep track of than what I thought it would be in such a big stadium because I, I didn't have any reference between how big a stadium is and what it's like to watch football from that level. Uh, but it was very good. I was able to keep track of it. I saw the, uh, I saw the, the referees, everybody I looked down and saw the people on the sideline pointed out some people, hey, that's Gardner Minshew, that's Gardner Minshew. Or <laughs> look, that's Jerome Bolger. He's a famous ref who blew a call in the Bengals game last year. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I kid, I kid, of course. But that was a great experience. I had such a great time. Uh, it was my first preseason game, so I feel like I got to get to this stadium or another stadium to watch a real NFL game because I feel like that energy would be unmatched there. Um, so even though the gameplay didn't matter, the crowd's energy was still there. Uh, it was an Eagles game, so the Boo Birds were there too sometimes, even though it's a preseason game. Uh, but that was uh, a great experience. And I had never been around so many other Eagles fans in my life. And I felt validated. I felt, uh, I felt great there. Yeah, no, that's part of the experience for sure. I mean, any sporting event you go to, I think there's always this unparalleled electricity in the venue when you have you know thousands of people who are all excited about the same thing that you are enjoying that moment together watching these athletes do something either you know that's their basic job but it's so extraordinary like it's different when you watch a, a long-range pass on tv and they catch it you almost expect them to catch it but when you're there in the stadium and you watch it happen live like just knowing that the ball is secured in that receiver's arms and they're continuing to run to the end zone it just it completely changes and you definitely have to go back especially to a game if, if they're having a baller season or if there's ever a game where it is a back and forth it's really close and there's something to be lost or something to be gained a big investment if you will uh for mm -hmm. the teams the electricity reaches a whole nother level in the stadium i i can promise you that oh yeah i look forward to it in terms of food there uh, i bought a glizzy do you know what a glizzy is no what's a what's a glizzy <sighs> okay well let me educate you for a second yeah please a glizzy uh, a glizzard, if you will. No, it's a glizzy. Nobody calls him a glizzard. I'm not going to mess with you is like that. Is it like that. a Dairy Queen thing? Is this a, is this a shake of some no, kind? No. So it's not a like glizzy, a blizzard. <laughs> a glizzy is a hot dog. Oh. <laughs> it's a hot dog. I, I don't quite know what regional phrase this is. Like I think it's mid-Atlantic, but I can't say for sure. They don't call them glizzies at the ballpark. It's something that I'm trying to have catch on. Much like calling Cincinnati the city of sin, C-I-N-N, sin. Mm -hmm. um, it's these phrases like asthma instead of ASMR. I call it asthma. Uh, it's just a little bit of crisp speak that I'm trying to have catch on. So <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't coin the term glizzy, but I am a glizzy gladiator, as it were. I love that word for hot dogs. It makes it sound like this whimsical, don't laugh. It's, 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 it's comical. It's just your own word for, for hot dogs. Oh, it's not just my word. It's the word of millions of others. I don't Ooh. know who they are, but they're there. Oh, okay, um, yeah, okay. Let me know when we discover who those people are. 
Well, it's a, a great uh, it's a great meal there. Now, it's not just like a, a glizzy that you'd boil in water and then they put on a bun. This glizzy was on the grill, and you could tell it was on the grill when they got it because uh, it was broken up a little bit because it was that hot. I uh, put some some ketchup on it, uh, some fancy tomato sauce. No, I'm kidding now, but the ketchup. Um, and then I also got crab fries there because... It being the Mid-Atlantic, they had Chickies and Pete's there, too. Uh, and Chickies and Pete's is also a licensed restaurant at a lot of Cedar Fair parks as well, where they have those iconic crab fries, which is really the crinkle-cut fries, but with Old Bay-like seasoning on it, uh, and then cheesy sauce as well. So uh, they they were quick to get through that. Uh, the line moved pretty quick. And it, the line moved pretty quickly. It was tasty. And it got me thinking, Max, with Chickies and Pete's, with the glizzies, with the tailgating, the energy, the entertainment, there's a lot of similarities between a major league sports game and a theme park. There's that industrial scale food operation, there's wayfinding signs everywhere, security screenings, an entertainment basis for attending, there's fans hooting and hollering everywhere, and yes, a couple fireworks now and again. Uh, so now, I now bring this to you, Max, from someone who has attended even more large-scale sporting events than myself. What do you think about these two entertainment offerings and their similarities or differences? And unless let's uh, start to loop in NASCAR as well, um, and even college ball too, because I know UCF, that has, I mean, they play at Camping World Stadium. That's essentially another stadium on the scale uh, of a major league ballpark yes so so we don't play there anymore we used to the oh. university used to play there back in the day but we have an on-campus stadium now um that we do most of our games in but we have i have traveled with the band and they do perform you know in in uh other stadiums we, we've played in um uh you know uh, raymond james stadium down in tampa bay oh. home of the buccaneers uh one also, of my least favorite stadiums okay that's that's valid that's <laughs> valid um I am a nerd when it comes to stadium design, too, uh, even though I haven't been to very many of these stadiums, but just looking at these huge feats of architecture and then seeing something as boring as Raymond James Stadium and how <laughs> often it gets to hold the Super Bowl, even though it shouldn't. Go on. I'm sorry. That's okay. I've also played, uh, uh, been in the, uh, I forget the name of the stadium now, where the Arizona Cardinals play. Another one of my least favorites, the uh, Farmers Stadium. Really? Like Wait, that. why is that your least favorite? Because it's ugly and it feels dim, dimly lit when it's played in there. Really? So I don't yeah. know. Maybe my experience was different because I mean, going there for the Fiesta Bowl was something just otherworldly. It was it was probably the biggest stadium I think that I've mm. had the joy of. I, I will say dim but sentimental um, is Tropicana Field for the Tampa Bay Rays play baseball. We've actually performed in there a handful of times as well because they do turn that into a uh, a football um, field. Uh, for a few events each year. Uh, that one's been sentimental to play in, but very challenging to to be in as well. But I think the common theme between all of them, and then, you know, I'll, I will bring in NASCAR here as well, because I think that is um, a really good experience, is the entertainment, right? Like, entertainment is a huge part of the attractions industry, and, and sometimes often forgotten about to a degree, because I think some people think of entertainment as character meet and greets, um, you know, or, or live stage shows. Well, sporting events are also entertainment, right? You would watch them on TV. You go to them not because you're playing in the sport, but because you are enjoying the athletes who are performing and you're cheering on your team to, to win. Um, it, it's fun. So it definitely has a direct parallel to the attractions industry and to theme parks. Um, 
in a variety of ways. I mean, I'm sure your experience may be similar, but if you go to the Raymond James in Tampa Bay or even to UCF's arena or, or any sporting event, you probably, before you even get there, start to see, you know, signs for the team uh, up on the street poles, right? Maybe there were like some Eagle banners or posters or, you know, the names of the roadways start to match some of the Eagles themes or, you know, the Pioneer Buccaneer type of uh, lingo in, in which is often used to kind of theme, if you will, the surrounding area to the stadium or to the, the team. And then, of course, once you're on the inside, it probably jumps to a whole nother level with, you know, I mean, the Buccaneers have a, a pirate ship literally built into their stadium. Uh, everything oh, with yeah. the Tampa Bay Rays, you know, there's a there's literally a tank holding Rays, uh, the fish actually there in the stadium, which is just a, a taking again that story and that theming of the team and the the event to a whole other level. And I gotta feel like now that you mentioned the pirate ship, that is something in favor of Raymond James Stadium. That's incredible, where they have that set piece there that really adds to the theming. When I maybe am a little unfair with the stadiums that were mentioned a little earlier for that, I do apologize, but it's simply my experience as of them on a TV broadcast where it always feels like in Arizona, it's just a little too dimly lit or something like that. Um, I would contrast this with, now I am an Eagles fan, so this is a little weird to say, one of my favorite stadiums is Cowboy Stadium, AT&T, because it's so beautiful. It has that retractable roof. It has large windows that let in that light sometimes as well. Um, Another big one that's incredible now is the new stadium in L.A., SoFi Stadium, Mm -hmm. um, of course, too. And I do really like Lincoln Financial Field, too. So I just wanted to be a little more fair to what I said previously and maybe poo-pooing on a a lot of these other stadiums. Uh, I know i got to get out there and see him in person. Yeah, I will say see him in person because a stadium definitely has a different impact and a different feel on TV where the camera naturally will adjust some of the lighting and and some of the production of what you're seeing will change your honest viewpoint of it. Because, I mean, I think you might have had this experience, right? The first overwhelming thing that's different as you approach the stadium, any stadium, the size of it, it's mind-blowing. My first major event that I remember going to was actually the NASCAR Ford 400 championship weekend in 2004 at Homestead Miami Speedway. And that racetrack is really far in South Florida, really out of downtown Miami. It's really kind of just in a a little space, all kind of by its own, surrounded by just natural swampland and Everglades. There's an Air Force base nearby, but there's really nothing. And the road you take leading up to this racetrack is literally like just like trees, just rows and rows of trees and farm and like you can't see anything else. And at some point in the road, the trees just come to a dead stop and then the land is just flat and just off in the distance is this giant racetrack. And I remember that moment as a kid in the car with my dad driving to the track for the first time and when we got there and the trees just stopped and the racetrack appeared, it was just, it was just an awe. It's like it's like standing yeah. underneath the Hulk coaster for the first time, just watching it because you're just like, wow, that's that's really there. That's impressive. This thing is 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 actually a place, like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And I think that no. that, that moment in itself is like, whoa. That pro- probably is similar to like when people see the castle for the first time, whether it's the Cinderella castle in the Magic Kingdom or you know the Hogwarts castle in Islands of Adventure. Um, that moment is probably the first moment that people remember of going to that sporting event. Well, the way that you describe that approach, and I'm sure there are many listeners that might have thought what I'm thinking right now, uh, it reminded me of the drive to Cedar Point. 
which is, of course, on a peninsula on Lake Erie. There's a, a couple-mile-long causeway that you have to drive down. It has some turns, so it's not a straight approach. But when you get to that final turn and you see that huge coaster skyline for the first time, it's incredible. You're like, wow, this place is actually real. It's not just something I've seen in photographs. It, it exists, and I'm here right now. Uh, so I, it's another similarity there in the approach and, and access to that. I got to ask, though, with that Miami complex, with that being so out of the way, it sounds like, is there public transport to it? Um, no, no, not really. I, I, I'm sure there might be, but I don't think there really is. Uh, you know, racing events are unique because they're a week on a weekend long event, especially back then they were. They've kind of shortened a little bit now, but Ultimately, they're, they're a weekend event where, you know, the, the teams are going to come in on Friday. They're going to unload. They usually would have a practice session on the track. Um, and uh, something I need to back up for a minute. The thing about NASCAR that you have to remember is it used to be a weekend-long event. So there's three premier series for NASCAR. There's the NASCAR Cup Series, the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and the NASCAR Truck Series. Um, the three series travel the tour the country together race these long seasons um, and they culminate in the same championship week and they do overlap from time to time you might have a weekend where it's you know trucks and cup xfinity and cup um trucks xfinity and cup so you get a, a variety as the year goes on but for the championship weekend you have all three so it typically starts on friday the teams will offload their their cars their trucks they'll do practice sessions on the track qualify um, for some of the series more practices and then the truck race happens on friday night saturday you would get um, the another practice round for the cup cars, qualifying for the Xfinity and the cup cars, another final practice in the Xfinity race, and then Sunday is like the grand event, right, where you have just the the cup cars, and there's a lot of fanfare, there's a lot of tailgating, there's a big you know pre-race um, show, sometimes a concert that happens, and then and then the race will happen um, that evening where we'll eventually crown crown the champions. So all these things happen. And in terms of public transportation, there's not really a lot because there is on-site camping that's available at the track. So some people... And RVs too? Oh, yeah. Some people actually drive their RVs to the infield of the racetracks, and they have designated spots. They can actually camp out in the infield for all weekend. A lot of people wow. can also camp outside of the racetrack or just travel to a local hotel and then come back, including the race teams, um, who sometimes will... We'll do that. So there isn't often a lot of public transportation, especially for Miami. Uh, Miami is so far out of the way from anything else. And because it's such a seasonal venue, like it's not used all the time, um, there would not be public transportation to it. Other racetracks like the Daytona International Speedway, that racetrack is situated right off of I-95, right at the end of I-4 and off Speedway International Speedway Boulevard, where there's a lot more going on. I think um, FAMU has a, a campus nearby. There's an airport just behind the racetrack uh, where a runway actually runs parallel to the back straightaway for the racetrack. And that one is open a little bit more throughout the year for more racing events in addition to concert events, um, a Christmas light event. They have a, an on-site um, like museum and hall of fame uh, that is open all year round. So I think there's probably a little bit more public transportation that goes to areas near that racetrack because there's a lot more to it. Uh, there's like a whole shopping plaza and hotel right across the street, including where NASCAR's main headquarters is from. Uh, so there's a lot more around that racetrack where there might be more public transport available rather than Miami, which is kind of secluded. Well, riddle me this. And this might be a silly question, but I, I don't know how it happens. My, a lot of my race experience is through the movie Cars. So 
I am a little curious. How do the cars and the RVs and whatever get into the infield? Surely they don't drive on the track. Do there, is there a tunnel that they have to go through? Uh, so actually, yes. Yes, there is a tunnel. Um, most racetracks have a tunnel that is built in which the trailers and the haulers will go that way to get to the infield of the racetrack and then offload the cars. There are a few racetracks, though, that are so small, such as Martinsville Speedway um, in Virginia and also the Bristol Motor Speedway up in Tennessee, where the track is so small that they actually do have gates that access from the basically the grandstand side across the main surface of the track down to the, the pit area where they would then take the, take the cars. Wow, and then... Once the race starts, you're in, and you're going to stay in. <laughs> yep. Because they're not going to stop the race to get out of your way. Exactly right. Yep. Once you're in, you're in, and then that's that's it for the duration of that race. So I, I know I've only been to one NFL stadium so far, and there's 31-ish others. Now there's former stadiums out there, too. There's baseball parks and hockey rinks and all sorts of things out there that are there left for me to explore. But I feel like I want to begin thinking about what one could learn from the other in terms of these huge entertainment venues and theme parks, which are, again, huge entertainment venues. Um, I think of things like Xfinity Live, which is sort of this tertiary experience to the major ballparks in that Philadelphia sports complex where it's a really attractive looking space just outside of the stadium. It's open with live music and tons of seating after the game is finished. It's in, it's pretty close to the football stadium, but also to the baseball park and the uh, basketball stadium as well, the Wells Fargo Center, so that everybody can sort of just mosey on over and continue the good times after the game, maybe wait out some of that traffic during egress. Uh, so I, I know that a lot of parks have shopping and dining districts, but I feel like a lot of parks still can go further as well. Uh, something that does come to mind, though, about something that I think works pretty well is Adventureland in Iowa has a sports bar that they operate in their parking lot, and I hear that it's a great place to be uh, not only when the park is open, but when the park is closed, too, so they still got their hotel there, too. They have water elements, too, water splash areas in the hotel. And now a sports bar, too, with a restaurant where they can uh, maybe get a, a bite to eat and a drink while they're closing down the park, too, to extend that experience during their day. Um, and the, the other way, I guess, uh, just a couple thoughts that I wrote down that I wanted to share with you, Max. Going the other way from theme parks to stadiums, when I was at Lincoln Financial Field, and I was on the first level lost, and I was just sort of walking around, admiring all the jerseys that people were wearing and their custom names and all that sort of thing. I did notice that all of the food and beverage locations had the same white lettering and font, uh, despite them being different food locations. Um, and they serve different menu items, marginally different menu items, but essentially different menus. Uh, it all had that same white lettering and font, um, a sans serif font that was just sort of out there and it's on there, lit up. Cheese steaks and fries, something like that, um, where I'd love to maybe see in the future. And again, I don't know a ton about what goes into this for these ballparks, but I'd love to see a little more flair or theming uh, for these branded locations. And I think that theme parks do a really great job of having flashy signs at their food and beverage locations that draw people in. And I think maybe they could pick up something in the ballpark in terms of getting these branded locations that are a little more attractive. And of course, I guess they don't need to be because people are going to still buy those crab fries and glizzies when they want them. Uh, but uh, I, I would wonder 
if there's further effort that they could put into it in branding these experiences and I guess theming them to use that word a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to these sporting venues, they definitely have a lot of opportunity to, to grow and add um, a more thematic element, if you will, to the whole experience, especially, you know, food and beverage, for sure. I'm going to use Daytona as a good example for this. The, the challenge, though, that we have to remember when it comes to these venue promoters, we'll call them, is how often is is this going to be used, right? How much money are you bringing in and how does that money come in? Because at the end of the day, the investment to make the sign look more thematic might not generate enough return on investment from the fan experience. However, we're moving, I think, into a, a time and a generation, especially with like things like Instagram, where if you can take a photo of something and post it, that generates excitement, right? That generates people wanting to be interested and involved. And, and unfortunately for a promoter like uh, uh, Lincoln Financial Field, where you have a team that plays out of it all the time, is, you know, there, there's years when the team is really good and there's teams, there are years when the team is really bad. And I think on the off years, it's hard to necessarily attract people to come to see a game in person because they're invested in the team and that's really all they care about. Uh, but on teams when the, or years when the team is doing really well, you can draw a lot of attendance because people are invested in the success of the team. They're invested in seeing the next, you know, star player and, and uh, winning that Super Bowl, you know, winning that big event. Mm-hmm. NASCAR uh, being very similar, right? It, it's a it's a blue collar sport. It's not, you know, it wasn't made out of millions and millions of dollars when it started. And, you know, the Daytona International Speedway was built in 1948, um, 58, 58, 1958, sorry. Um, and, and, you know, it's, these were people who racing was, you know, born out of smuggling, you know, out of moonshine runs, right? And so these people were low budget, you know, they would really, their paycheck to paycheck was race to race. You know, they really competed uh, to try to earn enough money to get to the next race and make a living. And if I'm the racetrack um, operator, you know, my biggest thing is, you know, just get the racers in and get them out. There wasn't really a draw for, you know, the fan experience for the longest time. But in 2013, the Daytona International Speedway invested multi millions of dollars to renovate the entire fan experience. If you Google search an image of Daytona International Speedway from 2011 and then look at it in 2000 or look at it today, you're going to see the the stadium is a completely different. The the seating around the front stretch was elevated to add a third level that went from all the way from turn 4 all the way to turn 1. The the press box office area was expanded. It was kind of shrunken down a little bit, but it was expanded more more um horizontally across the top of the, the start finish line area. And then there were some cheap st- stadium seats that were all the way in the backside of the racetrack that were really difficult to get to. They just tore those out, tore them down completely. But what was more impressive is what's under the stadium. What, what the typical NASCAR viewer is not going to see on TV is what they did under the bleachers, right? In 2004, when I went to my first race in Miami, the bleachers were exactly what you would expect. They were bleachers. There was nothing exciting about them. They were loud and noisy when people stomped up and down the stairs to get to and from their seats. Um, and there was it was just a shell of a concrete, smelly bathrooms, um, you know, concession windows, nothing really exciting. Going to Daytona, completely different experience. Yes, they're still bleachers. Let's not get past the fact that they're built as bleachers. But the structure support behind it 
jump to a whole nother level. There are actual restaurants and bars in the stadium that have a theme to them. One's like the race shop. One's like a, a, a Toyota themed grill where the benches and tables are actually like the, the back um, tailgates off of like trucks. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. You know, they have stacked tires as like the table settings. So they really stepped it up another level and added, you know, just in a food and beverage context, um, a story to, to the history that the racetrack has, right? There's all these pictures from the first races to all the winners of the Daytona 500 to, you know, Dale Earnhardt and the legacy he built and some of the more prominent figures in, in racing, but not just NASCAR, right? They also host the 20, the Rolex 24 hours, IMSA's uh, first race of their years. There's sports car stuff. There are sponsorship stuff between Toyota and Advent Health and Snoka Racing Fuel and Chevrolet and Exalta Paint Schemes who just each have their own, uh, they call them injectors. Um, and each injector is heavily themed to that sponsor, which again, gets you excited about the product you're about to go see. And I think gets people invested in, you know, what they're doing. And, and it's, it's not gone unnoticed. Like I think Daytona hosts so many races and so many concerts throughout the year that being able to just go and not just drive past that stadium, but to see the things that they've added, it just elevates the experience to a whole other level. Yeah, it sounds like it, where they've created these, again, branded experiences where it's natural to have that Toyota tailgate right there um, in people in, in the food and beverage area for people to dine on, um, where they're going to watch these Toyota vehicles racing around the track in just a couple of minutes. So I like the the differences and the changes that it sounds like they've put in in the last 20 years, too. You mentioned a little earlier on about how often these stadiums are used. And I think that is another major point to consider uh, where these stadiums are, I guess, billions now, I feel like, too. Uh, putting in the new ones, they're multi-billion dollar stadiums. And if you're, I guess, for example, an NFL team, if your NFL team is not going to the playoffs, they have eight home games, maybe nine with the new 17-game stadia, uh, schedule, um, and then maybe two preseason games that are home as well. You might get a couple stadium tour um, concerts throughout the summer. Uh, maybe there's a, a soccer tour of maybe two foreign soccer teams that come to play. But other than that, the stadium is there sitting empty. So I guess there is a need to both figure out how to make the stadium the most efficient uh, when it's being used and there's 60,000 plus people in the stadium at once but also find a way to be effective and efficient with what we add and invest in these stadiums. Uh, so I think that is another good point that you made as well. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a tough balance. I mean, you think about, you know, what's on TV, right? Like if you're looking at a NASCAR race on TV, you're going to see the track and the infield grass is going to be heavily painted, right? Like look at the, the football field, the team logo in the center on the 50 yard line or how the end zones are painted um, with the team colors and, and the mascot on there. A lot of that stuff that's exposed to what TV is going to see is going to always look really good. Sometimes the stuff that TV is not always going to see, but it's still a part of the fan experience, gets left out. And I think it's important. And I think what the stadiums are starting to realize is that is important and something that attendees value and are starting to figure out how do we incorporate more of this um, fan experience as it's being tagged up to be included in in uh, in what we offer. But it is a it is a difficult challenge. I mean. I can only imagine what it's like to operate a venue like that, you know, like where you have these set events, they're big events, but they come and go so quickly. I mean, yeah, we talk about a weekend, you know, it seems like a lot of time, three whole days, 
But when you consider how the traffic comes in, how the traffic comes out of the production crews, the event staff, the third party vendors who are selling the food and beverage, most likely, or detail cleaning uh, the stadium after events, and then the competition, right? They're in and out like, like, like in a snap and that's it. So it's interesting to see how that, that business model works, but I'm impressed that the ones who have found a way to make it work are, are, are investing in that guest experience, that fan experience, and, and really striving to make that something special. I'd like to speak to a trend in new major league ballparks that I think you alluded to earlier on in the podcast. And this is also something that I had encountered when I went to my first major league stadium ever, which was in Cleveland, I think Progressive Field, I think it's called, uh, where I did get to have a a brief tour with uh, some of their operations team, uh, see some of the elements, what's down there at that lower level and where do people come? I got to see, now this is back in the day, this is, I got to see where LeBron drove in because he would actually drive in at Progressive Field and then um, it would connect to uh, Quick and Loans Arena, whatever they call it, the the baseball, the, the basketball stadium there. Uh, so they showed, yeah, this is the route that he takes to go in there when the, when he goes to the the stadiums as well, and that was pretty cool. But what they had mentioned with what they're trying to do, and this was an older stadium in Cleveland that they had done heavy refurbishment for uh, for the All Star game or All Pro game. <laughs> I'm embarrassing myself because I don't really follow baseball religiously mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know all the terms but the all-star game um, they had done they had hosted it a couple years ago and they put in millions and millions of dollars of refurbishment to get that game and also to improve the stadium itself uh, but they mentioned how they were focusing less on the seats and more on the greater stadium experience where they're investing more on things that round out the in-stadium experience and get people to stay longer and spend more um, where the ticket into the stadium is just the beginning of the experience. And then and then you consume the game from different points throughout the evening, where maybe you start out in a bar that has a great view of the stadium, of the field of play itself. Um, and then eventually you make it to your seat as well uh, after enjoying some food and beverage. Uh, but then you go to a lounge in another area where, again, you have to pay that money to get into that lounge. But it's another way to consume the game there. And it's special. It's exclusive. And it allows you the flexibility of going to multiple places during one game. And like I said, eventually you get to your seat. Eventually you might actually sit in that little seat that either folds down or uh, some stadiums still have those bleachers. But... A lot of recent trends, from what I understand, are in stuffing these stadiums, both refurbished or new, with a lot of new amenities. And and I think one of my favorite stadiums is Hard Rock Stadium, uh, which that used to be a much older stadium with the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty ugly stadium back in the day. But they have refurbished it. They've added a, a partial roof over the stadium, and it looks incredible. And you hear about these little clickbait elements that I know they put in there to drive Huffington Post articles and CNN.com articles that people share on Facebook where it says, what? They put a a hot tub in the stadium? You can watch the NFL game from a hot tub? (laughs) Things like that, where there's a little bit of novelty and whimsy with what they add in there, uh, but there's also strategy behind it, too, where it's this broadening of the experience, I guess, less of a focus on keeping you in your seat and more of a focus on giving you more to do around the game experience. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, this is another great example of kind of 
Daytona, and I'm also going to use the Indianapolis Motor Speedway here because I think that is a venue that uh, it always gets rave reviews for just how pristine and beautiful and clean the venue is and how the amenities really make fan experience because there's so many different pagodas and different viewing points. But the way the track is built, uh, you can't always see the entire racetrack, right? And that's problematic. Think about any other sporting event, right? You're there to see the event, but if you could go behind the stadium, behind the bleachers, you're not able to see what's happening, right? You could miss a big play. You could miss a grand slam home run. You could miss a huge car crash in turn four. Um, so people want to stay connected with the sport that they're there to see, but they still want to enjoy the rest of the uh, the stadium, the amenities, what, what they have to offer, right? There's a way to get people to enjoy a meal at this event because sometimes these events run long. Think about what happens if there's a rain delay right rain delays are the worst things in sports and in nascar it's even worse because if you're at daytona you know it's a two and a half mile racetrack and these cars can't race on it if the track is wet so to dry off the track after one of florida's 15 minute rainstorms is about a two and a half hour process oh for two and a half hours what are these people going to do they're not going to sit in their seats in the rain they're going to want to be fed they're going to want to be entertained right and there's only so much that the radio broadcast can do that plays with the pa system so one of the things they've done is they've put more TVs in the concourse, more TVs to show the actual race broadcast, which also in turn creates entertainment, right? You can throw up messages up there. You can throw up specific trivia um, around the, the racetrack to those who are there. There are different things you can do to, to capture the attention while people are shopping in the little shops they've added at the bar, at the restaurant, at the hot tub, as it sounds, apparently. Uh, there's a lot of activities uh, that you can include. One of my favorite things I saw was in the, who was it? I believe it was Sunoco Racing um, brought an actual like racing simulator to the stadium and had it set up under the bleachers. So as fans could come by, they could actually just jump in a racing simulator and take a lap around Daytona in a stock car, you know, while right before you go and watch the stock cars. So I think that's definitely something that's really cool that you got to plan for is, okay, what happens if fans aren't in their seat? You know, a sporting event can be two and a half hours, but, you know, two and a half hours after drinking a lot of beer, you probably have to go to the bathroom. You're probably going to be hungry and want to eat something else. You know, NASCAR races are the same way. And to be able to stay watching the race from a TV monitor or from a mobile app or, you know, from some type of engagement with the thing while I'm not in my seat, spot on. 100% spot on. You have to have it nowadays. I think it's the only way to keep people wanting to come get a ticket. Because otherwise, what's the point of buying this ticket and coming to your event if you're not going to have any of these amenities when I can just stay at home and have all of the amenities, including commentary that tell me about what's going on with the race? You know, I'm going to get to see everything going on on the racetrack from whatever they show me. Uh, you know, like there's, there's pros and cons to staying at home and watching an event versus being there live. And I think the venues have to capitalize on the things that make being there live special. I know mm -hmm. for, we're actually having this discussion right now, my wife and I, about if we're going to go to the uh, Daytona race here in a couple of weeks for the finale. And I mean, a lot of pros to it, right? Pros. I get to go see the, the new race car live and in person. I get to hear it. I get to feel it. I get to smell it as it goes around the racetrack. There's a lot of drama this year in the NASCAR season with how the points are shaken out in the playoffs and you know who's in, who's not. We've had 15 different winners this year or 16 different winners this year, which is unheard of. Uh, no, it's 15. It almost was 16, but it's 15. Um, and there's only 16 playoff spots. So what happens if there's a 17th winner? You know, who's going to be in the playoffs? I think a lot of the drama makes me want to go to the racetrack. And knowing the experience I've had in the past, I'm like, yo, this is something I, I think we absolutely should 
should want to do. Um, but then there's also, okay, well, wait, it's going to be hot. It's August chance of rain. So what if it gets rain delayed, right? We have to come back the next day. How, how are the amenities in Daytona for us to be able to get a room and stay, or do we want to stay in that area? I think parking is another huge, huge challenge. So many stadiums, I was blown away by how little parking there are at sporting venues and how you really have to either find a local place to be and kind of commute into it or, you know, pay an outrageous speed to park near or on the stadium property. I think those are the, that was the craziest thing I ever discovered about it. But either way, it's part of the experience, right? And you have to figure out how yeah, to... Yeah, $45, NFL preseason game parking. Oof. Oh, yeah, it, it's like that, too. You can get $45 right across the street from the racetrack, or you can drive a mile away and pay 20 or you can drive two miles away and use the free parking lot and then hop a school bus to drive all the way over to the racetrack and then walk across the famous Welcome to Daytona Beach uh, a pathway to get to where the racetrack is and actually enjoy the event but then you got to make that hike all the way back at the end of the event so you got to keep that in mind when you're having all, all that fun out there but either way you know part of the experience part of something these venues have to, to to work around and figure out what do we do to to make this special for people to want to attend this event because there is a lot you know just in the team and and the event itself but going the extra mile with your food and beverage going the extra mile with your activities that you offer your shopping experiences your what happens if people have to be here a lot longer than they expected backup plans i think it says a lot about the venue operators and their ability to attract a large crowd for a long long time yeah it sounds like it because there's a lot that can happen where maybe there's extra innings in a baseball game or a rain mm-hmm. delay in a race like you said overtime in the nfl Uh, that people are already spending a long time here. And if they are like me in the future, where I bring my smoker, I'm probably going to be at the stadium for more than 12 hours on a day if I'm smoking some ribs before the game. Uh, So I definitely want to have comfortable amenities there. And I might even say... If I'm out, if outside smoking these ribs all the day before the game, I might even want to splurge and get a an indoor lounge seat or something like that at the stadium, uh, and, and to open me up to <laughs> shade and air conditioning and access to exclusive restrooms, things like that, that just plus the experience a little bit more. Uh, so it sounds like there's a lot of great things going on with major league stadiums and these entertainment venues that host tens of thousands of people just like theme parks and i think there's some cross-pollination of ideas that have already happened in terms of fan experiences and museums amenities attractions things like that Uh, but i think there's more as well and the interesting trends are continuing like we mentioned and making it possible for someone to consume the game from multiple different points in the stadium comfortably uh, because then that means they're spending even more money and after all isn't that the goal <laughs> yeah one, one more thing i'll add is you know yeah. very famously um or recently in the news the circuit of the americas racetrack in texas yeah they're adding a ferris wheel uh to their racetrack their permanent ferris wheel attraction and i believe some others might be joining soon and i know daytona has a ferris wheel that goes up uh for the rolex 24 hour race that they they have over there as part of their big block party stuff and there's fireworks at night as well fireworks at the end of the races so very much like a theme park it's starting to get attractions now too which is a an interesting concept to see who's going to be riding the the ferris wheel and the roller coasters at the racetrack when when the cars are going around that could be an interesting experience well speaking of the circuit of the americas have you heard of coda land yes i have heard of coda land i've been very you interested heard all those coasters going in there i have heard about that i was like oh, oh yeah. this is gonna make that event way more fun 
I got to get mm-hmm. out there to go see a race. Yeah, it looks incredible, all the investment that they're doing there. It's a perfect example, I think, uh, as we close up of a park, well, a racetrack, a stadium that is crossing, blurring the lines even more between attractions and entertainment venue like that uh, of a, a racetrack where they're adding uh, both a roller coaster late this year of called Palindrome and then the year after that a perfect name a perfect name for a roller coaster such as Circuit Breaker which is a, a roller coaster with a tilt track where the track will go up the hill and then the track itself will tilt down into the vertical drop and that's just Amazing. incredible they found the perfect name for it the perfect place for it it's I can't wait to see it pop up because it's going to be incredible. No, absolutely. I think it's going to be it's the future of events, you know, seeing what people what people are going to be doing next at these stadiums to really make the experience worthwhile and draw more people in. And maybe not just for the events, but maybe all year round, you know, who's mm-hmm. to say we can't theme uh, theme a, a 365 day attraction to these places and, and draw people to them more often. Max, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today as we talk about something that was new to me, but something that you had a little more experience with. Um, And then to talk about racing, too, rounding out and adding an additional dimension to this discussion. I really do appreciate it because this was my first time in the NFL stadium. It will not be my last. And it was great to go there. And it was great to both think critically about it um, while I I think about theme parks and, and attractions that I know a lot more about there, too. Uh, But dear listener, before you ask, we have heard all of these cool 2023 announcements that have come out. Uh, They're very exciting. We didn't talk about them this episode, but we will be sure to discuss them soon. I just wanted to make sure that DJ was here for it as well, because I know... When we talk about worlds of fun, getting a new roller coaster, he was all over social media with it. I know that we got to have him here to discuss it when the time comes. But the only thing I'll add to that is we called it the return of the Zambezi Zinger. In our Plan a Park episode that we did more than a year ago, we said, hmm, they should add another roller coaster and call it the Zambezi Zinger again. It'd be a return of an iconic name to the park, and it would be wonderful. Everybody would love it. And now look at them. They're adding the Zambezi Zinger back to Worlds of Fun. Uh, We called it. (laughs) Well done. Oh, yeah. It's just uh, some of the fun that we like to have with our different episodes, plan a park episodes where we get to, I guess you could say, take the reins, uh, get the keys to the car uh, and and drive it for a little bit and see what would we do to this park over the next five or so years. And we've had a lot of fun with those episodes. We've talked about Worlds of Fun, Six Flags America, Busch Gardens, Williamsburg, Cedar Point, all these different parks where we get to think if we were given the keys to the kingdom, what would we do? Uh, And that was, of course, a, a very fun thought exercise there, much like the thought exercise that we have had today, Max. And I really do thank you for spending some time with us today. Uh, and we got to have you back again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I'm, I'm glad I got to, the call back to come in for a second run and talk a little bit of NASCAR racing and some of the stadiums. I mean, there's so much more I could talk about from the aesthetics that they do and the different theming lighting packages that they have installed at the racetrack. But uh, no, this was good. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to hearing more about your experiences and catching up with you again soon.
Oh, definitely. Dear listener, if you wish to have a corkscrew conversation with us, there's many ways for you to do that. We are on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Gmail as Corkscrew Convos and CorkscrewConvos at gmail.com. So if you have a question for us, something you've been wondering about, something you'd want us to discuss, just go ahead and let us know or give us a follow as well. Uh, and I'll just close out with there's one easy, free way to help out the show uh, and help us out. And that's by leaving a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star review on Spotify as well. It's completely free. It takes like one minute to do, less than one minute if you know exactly where to go. Um, And it just helps us to grow the show and share the show with an even wider audience than we already do right now. Uh, But until next time, my name is Chris. I'm Max. And this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.